about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Tonight's Bible reading comes from John 17, verses 20 to 26. John 17, verses 20 to 26. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Here ends tonight's reading. Thanks. Well, g'day, folks. Uh, Let me add my welcome to Kez's. Uh, My name is Andrew Errington, I'm the Senior Minister here, Um, and I hope you've had a really good weekend. Not everybody's been able to be with us, of course, um, but I hope, uh, I know some of you have. I've had a really good time at the Lockdown Festival. Um, I enjoyed, my family and I enjoyed the the all-ages trivia, which was a bit wild, and the praise night last night, so... Really grateful to all those who helped make that happen. Uh, A special thanks to uh, the staff team here who really did um, pull it off beautifully. But of course, if you weren't part of it, we hope this evening is a really good service for you. We hope you've had a good weekend too, and we have a real treat as we finish uh, this wonderful part of John's Gospel this evening. Today, as I said, we 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 conclude our series of sermons on John chapters 14 to 17. Um, And it's accompanied us by accident through this time of lockdown. We'll be moving on in a couple of weeks to Isaiah again, moving back to Isaiah really. And as we conclude uh, looking at the end of chapter 17 of John today, um, we see Jesus pray not just for the disciples, those who were actually there on the night, but he prays for, he says, those who will believe in me through their message. That's us, friends. Jesus prayed for us as he faced the cross on the last night of his life. Jesus thought of us. He thought of you and he thought of me. That is the extraordinary thought we have to explore uh, this evening. Uh, There are lots of things in this passage that will grab our attention and challenge us and and make us think. Uh, Our eye will probably be caught especially by what Jesus says about unity. But first and foremost, our attention 
should not just be on ourselves and what we are doing, but on what this passage shows us about Jesus and his care for us. We can look at this under three headings, I think. We can look at Jesus' prayer in verses 20 to 23. The whole passage is prayer, but there's particularly a segment of prayer. Then secondly, in verse 24, we see Jesus' desire. And thirdly, in verses 25 and 26, we see Jesus' commitment. In each section, what we get to see is the shape of Jesus' care for his people, for us. And it will challenge us in the end to ask ourselves whether we're letting him care for us. It will be an invitation and we'll have to ask whether we're resisting that care or not. So let's dive in. Let's begin with Jesus' prayer. The whole passage is prayer, as I said, but in verses 20 to 23, we get specifically Jesus' prayer for those who will believe through the disciples' message. My prayer is not for them alone, says Jesus. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. This is a prayer for an expanding group of believers that eventually includes us today who are Christians because of the disciples' message. Okay, so what does Jesus pray? Let's have a look at it. From verse 21, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prays that his followers may be one. But one in a particular sense, one in the way that the Father and the Son are one, just as you are in me and I am in you. What does that mean? Well, let's first notice that in the following verses, Jesus repeats this prayer, but in a different way. From verse 22, Jesus says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Here we see that what will lead to this unity among the disciples what will, what will create that is the gift of the glory that Jesus has himself been given. Now things are getting really heavy, aren't they? I, I don't blame you if you find this kind of a bit difficult. All I can do here, I think, is to say what seems to me to be the most likely meaning of Jesus' words and invite you to just contemplate them. Thankfully, of course, all of this is Jesus' prayer to his heavenly Father, uh, who knew what he meant and is competent to answer that prayer, whether we understand it fully or not. But when Jesus says there, I have given them the glory that you gave me, I hope, if you've been with us through this series, I hope some bells are going off. Uh, Jesus has talked a lot about glory, and I think that once again, he is speaking here about his work his whole life, and he is looking ahead in anticipation to his death and then vindication beyond that, his resurrection. And all of that, as we've seen, reveals the true nature of God's glory, the glory of God's holy mercy and love, 
his self-offering and graciousness. We've spoken about this throughout these chapters. It's one of the most amazing things in these chapters in John's Gospel. The glory that Jesus was given is nothing other than the glory of God's mercy and humility, the glory with which he gives himself for the sake of others. And that is what he has given the disciples by leading them in the path of the cross. That's the glory he is giving to them, the glory of the way of the cross. As he said back in chapter 12, whoever serves me must follow me. Jesus has shared with his followers and he shared with us the glory that is the way of the cross. And that is how we will be united. That is how we will be joined to one another in love and costly service. The unity Jesus describes is a unity of purpose, of love, of care for one another. Jesus' prayer is that his followers be united as one as they are formed together in the likeness of his own self-giving love of the Father. Okay, what does this mean for us that Jesus prayed this? Well, before we jump to the practical questions we have to ask and answer, can we just first register this extraordinary fact that Jesus did pray this for us. Jesus prayed for all his followers deliberately. He cared for us purposefully and concretely here. He wanted something definite for us. He wanted us to be one in him. He cared for us. Okay, where does that leave us? At this point, some people's minds will go straight to big picture questions, like the problem of divided Christian denominations or the divisions that currently exist within the Anglican Church. I've got a couple of pictures here. Uh, Here's a kind of diagram of how the church uh, divided. I, 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 I just, it's in French, just for added interest. Uh, There you go, there's a diagram of the kind of branching divisions of the church. And here we zoom in just on the different Presbyterian churches in North America. You don't look at that and think, one, do you? Is that where our attention should go, do you think? We need to be cautious here, actually, because Jesus' prayer is not just for institutional unity. There are different kinds of unity. And I think denominations can actually assist with with being unified in many ways because they stop congregations from being constantly torn apart by differences that are not critical. There are also forms of institutional unity that are pretty superficial, pretty much kind of a surface business. There is no way that what Jesus prayed for here was a kind of formal unity that's achieved by ignoring huge differences of belief. But we also shouldn't totally dismiss these bigger picture questions, I don't think. Some people sneer at ideas like ecumenism, which, which ecumenism is, is the word used for the movement to bring 
formal and institutional unity to the church. Some people sneer at questions like that, but I don't think we should do that. And the reason is that the unity Jesus talks about here clearly is meant to be something visible. He's not just talking about a kind of have with one another. Twice he says that the aim of this unity is to bear witness to the world. Have a look at it here, verse 21. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's why he's praying that his disciples would be one. And then verse 23, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. Our unity is supposed to somehow be visible, a witness to the presence of God. I think it's okay, actually, if Jesus' prayer here leaves us feeling a bit uncomfortable about the state of the wider church, if it feels a bit like a a little stone in your shoe that keeps nagging you and drawing your attention. Maybe it should feel like that. Still, I also think that in the first instance, in the first place, our, our attention, our concern shouldn't be on the wider church, but should be on our own fellowship. Jesus' prayer here ought to leave us taking pretty seriously, I think, our relationships with one another and our unity with our brothers and sisters here and now. Jesus prayed for his people to be one in him, drawn together by the pattern of the cross that he has given us. Whatever else that means, it's got to at least mean us, this church. What will you do knowing that Jesus prayed this for you? I think that's a productive question to ask. What conversations will that drive you to? Where does that ask something costly of you? Where does this prayer push you to give more time and energy? Who does this prayer push you towards? Can I urge you to let this prayer move you towards those in this congregation and in our church who are a bit different from you. Those who are perhaps of a different age, those who are newer than you, those who come from a different background, those who speak a different language. Churches are always changing and shifting. New people are Especially here, new people are always coming. It's uncomfortable and difficult sometimes. But wouldn't it be wonderful if all those challenges could, could inspire us and lead us to a new determination to move towards one another as one church united by our knowledge of and our love for the one who gave himself for our sake. Our world is full of fracture, isn't it? It's just full of people falling out with one another, splitting, failing to work out their differences. We hear all the time about polarization. That's the world we're in. It's a world of division. What a witness it would be if, if we could be a church visibly united 
able to make steps towards rather than away from greater unity. Amen? I'll just imagine you all shouting amen in your homes. Well, that was all point one uh, about Jesus' prayer for us. We don't need the French diagram anymore. We're moving on to point two. Don't worry, point two is uh, shorter, and so is point three. The second thing we see in this passage is the desire that fuels this prayer of Jesus. We see Jesus' desire. Have a look again at verse 24. Father, Jesus prays, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. What is it that Jesus wants? What is it that drives him, that animates his prayers? He wants those the Father has given him to be with him where he is. That is, he wants us to be with him in the glory of eternity. It will be the glory that he has because he went to the cross. The glory that he has as the one exalted because he humbled himself. And he wants us to be there and to see it. We called this series On the Way to the Father because it begins in chapter 14 with Jesus saying that he is going away to the Father. And it ends with him telling the disciples that he wants them to be there with him. And us. Jesus wants you to be with him. He wants to share eternity in your company and for you to find your fulfillment in seeing him for what he is. Have you ever felt wonderful because you discover that somebody you really admire genuinely wants to spend time with you? It's a great feeling. The opposite experience is pretty awful when you discover that somebody you love kind of doesn't want you around. Well, how about this? Jesus, the Son of God, the Lord of heaven, the glorious one, he wants you to be with him. You. You with your faults your bad habits, the things about yourself that frustrate you and sadden you. You with your history and your grave mistakes. You with your anxieties and insecurities. He wants you to be with him where he is and to see his glory. For sure, when that happens... We won't be the same people in some ways. Our sins will finally fall away. Our foolishness will finally be overcome. Our fears will finally vanish like a morning mist. But we will still be us. You will still be you and I will still be me. And we are the ones he wants to be there. He wants us to be there really, 
Will you let that encourage your heart? Amen. We see one last thing here, though, which is Jesus' commitment. Have a look again at verse 25. Righteous Father, praise Jesus. Though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus doesn't just pray for us and say he wants things for us and that he hopes things will work out for us and then let it go, hope for the best. No, he commits himself to finishing the work. I have made you known, he says to God, and I will continue to make you known. His work of making God known is going to continue even though he is going away. For he is sending the Holy Spirit to continue it. When he says this at the end of chapter 17, we know now that he's talking about the Spirit, the Advocate, the Comforter who will come and speak the Spirit of Truth. By the Spirit, Jesus is still at work, brothers and sisters. He is still doing what he was doing when he was here in the flesh, making God's name known. And he is doing it so that our faith in him will be made perfect in love, in the love of God poured into our hearts and the presence of Christ among us. Jesus is still doing that. His his care goes on. He is committed. He's in it for the long haul. You never need to doubt that he is still at work. And we never need to doubt that he is at work in this church, making God's name known so that the love of God will dwell among us. If we commit ourselves to the way, he will always be with us. That's a real encouragement, isn't it? Because how dreary it would be. I love the word dreary. I wanted to use it in this sermon. It would be dreary if it was all just up to us. How hopeless I would be if my growth, my sanctification, my perseverance in faith, if that was all up to me. I'm never going to pull that off. But it's not all up to me and it's not all up to you. Jesus has given us a promise that he will continue. He will keep working, keep speaking, teaching, encouraging, rebuking by the Holy Spirit. Well, let me finish then by asking a simple question. Are you resisting his care? Are you resisting his care? Here at the end of Jesus' great prayer, we see the extraordinary truth of Jesus' care for us. On the night before he died, just just think again about this. On the night before he died, as he faced the darkness of the cross... Any minute to be abandoned and left alone by all his dearest friends. Jesus did not just think of himself. 
He thought of you. He prayed for us. He told God of his desire to be with you. He committed himself to continuing to work for our good. The prophet Isaiah said, He will tend his flock like a shepherd and gather the lambs in his arms. That's what we see here. The the pastoral care of Jesus. Are you resisting that care? Are you refusing to lean on it, to fall into it? Are you holding back from it? Are you just refusing to let go and fall into it? Are you resisting it by refusing the call to fellowship? To making yourself vulnerable to others, to this community, by caring about these people? Are you holding back from people because you're fearful of getting hurt? You may get hurt. There's no way around that. But Jesus cares for us by calling us towards one another. Are you resisting Jesus' grace and care by refusing to believe that he really does love you? That he really does want to be with you? Do you keep seeing yourself as unworthy, not good enough? Do you hear Jesus say that he wants to be with those who God has given him and you think, that's, that's got to be talking about others? It isn't. Jesus is saying it to you. Fall into that. Are you resisting his care by turning away from Christ's ongoing work of making God's name known? Are you you closing your ear to the Bible and to teaching in church? Are you closing down chances to hear God speak about Christ in the words of your brothers and sisters? Jesus wants to care for us, friends, by keeping God, making God's name known. He hasn't stopped. We began this series with the wonderful words at the beginning of chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled, says Jesus. He says, believe in God and believe also in me. In my fa- and he goes on, in my father's house are many rooms. At the, end, at the end of this series, having seen the grace and the patience and the love with which he went to the cross, can I just invite you to take him up on that invitation? Believe in him and believe in his care for you. He is leading us always on the way to the Father. Won't you just fall into that grace? Lean upon it. Rest in it. And just go with it with great joy. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, it is an overwhelming thing to think that having loved 
your own. You love them to the end. And that right to the cross, you thought of your people. We praise you and thank you for your care for us and ask you to help us not harden our hearts to it, but fall into it in gratitude and joy. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.